Thank you so much for that reading and Peter for leading the service so far. Um, hello everyone at the tab and uh, a big thank you to the elders for the privilege of getting to preach over the next three weeks. It really is a great privilege to open the Bible with you. Um, children at home, I hope you feel like you can listen to this and um, can you get yourselves a hammer, children, and a ruler and a chair. I've got a high chair here and you'll see why you need those later on in the sermon. I'm going to pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, by the Spirit, take these words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago and apply them deeply to us to rewire our attitudes and the way we relate to one another and our attitude to you. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Well, Jesus is teaching us in this passage how to respond to the wrongs we see in other people. His assumption is we will. In any given uh, group, a family, a church small group uh, at work, we will encounter, I guess, probably almost daily, envy and irritation, spiteful words, selfishness, laziness, pride. Um, if you haven't encountered those recently, it may just be because you're completely locked down and just wait until, um, well, you meet me in the new year. It's one of the biggest challenges of our lives to live with each other. It was for Jesus. And generally speaking, we're not very good at all at dealing with this most basic reality that we are sinners. Now, if you're new to Christian things, um, this Sermon on the Mount is, is a great, great reason to take Jesus seriously. He's holding forth on the nature of God, love, happiness, prayer, anxiety, money, hypocrisy, death. And here, handling wrong, these are huge topics. And, well, imagine you were asked to speak just a few sentences on just one of these things without stealing from anyone else in a way that impacts the lives of millions of people throughout history is remembered 2,000 years later and has PhDs written on almost every little phrase. That's what Jesus achieved. And Christians think the only way to explain that and the only way to make sense of it is that Jesus is speaking from outside, from God himself. I hope I can start to persuade you of that if you're not a Christian, and that's my aim. If we are a Christian, which I guess most of us are, my aim is that we'd actually live this. John Stott wrote that this most basic idea about the Sermon on the Mount is it's here to be lived. So how should we respond to the wrong that we see in other people? Well, I hope you've got your Bible open. Um, two key things. Number one, treat the Christian as family, not acting as judge. Treat the Christian as family, not acting as judge. Now verse 3 mentions sawdust in your, can you see it? Brother's eye. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother? Verse 5, re remove the speck from your brother's eye. So although in verse 6 we, we move on to those outside, verses 1 to 5 are about the wrong that we will encounter inside the church family from brothers and sisters. And as I said, Jesus expects that. We're not in because we're sinless, but because he's wonderfully kind and forgiving. And we are to handle each other's sin as a family, not acting as judge. Now, um, children, to understand um, what, I'm, what I'm saying here, you need to know what a judge does. And a judge is someone who sits above in a big chair. Actually, not like this one, but this is where Rufus sits in his high chair. But imagine a man or a woman sitting high up in the court in a big chair. They sit above and they measure people. Are they right or wrong? They measure them 
and then they declare a final verdict with a hammer. I've always wanted to do that. Guilty or not guilty. And when Jesus says in verse 1, do not judge, he's saying, don't be like that. Don't sit above. Don't measure uncharitably. Don't declare a final verdict. Firstly, don't sit above. Because we're sinners too. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Uh, Jesus' dad was a carpenter. I guess Jesus often got bits of sawdust like this stuck in his eyes, which is bad, right? Obviously, it's bad for a person to have this. And it's bad for the people around them to have somebody walking around with a saw in hand or something who's not able to see properly. And here's the point, even the smallest amount of sin in our lives is like that. It does need dealing with. Jesus taught, in fact, in chapter 6, verse 22, that where we spiritually set our eyesight directs the whole course of our lives. Sawdust matters. Sawdust sin matters. But Jesus imagines here someone else coming along trying to help. And uh, they haven't got just this in their eye, but this wedged right in. And they sort of come along, they say, hey, let me, you know, let me just help you with that little bit of sawdust. I, I, I can see, don't worry. I've got it, I've got it. And you want to say, no, 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 get away from me. Take that plank out first. It's kind of funny, except when you realise how often we actually live like this. How easy it is to see the faults in others and be totally blind to our own faults. The person who's angry or proud or self-centred so often thinks that that is someone else's problem. They can't see it in themselves. And, you know, if they do have faults, they, they say, well, it's because I'm tired or, or under pressure. And they look down, therefore, on everyone else and they sit above. Now, a judge in a law court is supposed to do that. And if that's your job, then good for you. Um, but Jesus says that in the family, that is none of our job. Because it's God's. Um, it's none of our job to sit above because we are to sit on the bench with our brothers and sisters alongside with no sense of superiority, open with our own faults and thereby able to help. Verse 5, can you see, if I'm really clear on my own sin and I'm asking Jesus to forgive me and help me to take the plank out, then I can see clearly to remove the speck from my brother's eye. Notice Jesus' implication in verse 5 is that we do need, need each other to do that, to help us change. That's what family does. But it's tricky. And I think that's why people in our society have embraced a sort of distorted version of don't judge. And the distortion is not acting as judge, sitting above, but also not acting as family, sitting alongside. And so when people say, don't judge me, man, they're basically saying, just leave me alone. Live and let live. Just affirm every decision and choice people make. But that is not Jesus' vision here. For what that creates is individuals who tolerate each other rather than a family who love each other and, and want the very best for each other. And what a sad, sad thing. If I'm, if I'm blundering through life with a load of sawdust in my eyes, I'm letting sin ruin me and other people, please, for goodness sake, step in. But I will be able to take that from you so much better 
if I know that you're somebody who is also seeking real change in your life too. Three applications of don't sit above. First, if you want to be a real help to others, Jesus says, make sure you're changing. Make sure you're changing. And that's the point of this book that somebody put me onto, side by side. If I want to be a real help to other people, make sure I'm changing. And second, if you're somebody who always feels judged by everyone, are you sure you're not being loved by some? Can you see the distinction here? Someone may not be acting as judge, they may be just trying to act as family. Really just trying to help you by getting alongside you. But the problem is, if you're a person, if, if as a person or even a whole church, in fact, we develop a culture that any discipleship or rebuke or input on, I don't know, our parenting or work or our daily prayer lives or whatever is by definition judgmental. And from someone who must think that they're superior to us, we will in fact cease to be family. We can't help each other. So if you're somebody who, who's always feeling judged, well, it may be that some are, I'm so sorry for you, but it may be that some people are just trying to love you. Will you take your defences down and let them get close? Third, here's Jesus' key application. If you've got a great plank in your eye at the moment that you're not attending to, if as you listen to this sermon, the sermons over the next three weeks, all you can think of is how other people need to change and not you. Please don't be a menace and hypocrite, says Jesus. Take a break, I guess, from, I don't know, leading your home group or a young people's group and get it out. And I take it we'll all actually need to do that from time to time. Don't sit above. Second, don't measure uncharitably. And that's the point of verse 2 there. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that's not saying that Christians should have no measures of right and wrong. Because Jesus taught in the whole Sermon on the Mount, the highest standards of right and wrong. Hatred matters like murder. Lust like adultery. And Jesus isn't saying we should take no measures or assessments of others be pretty hard to apply verse 15 of this chapter. Can you see there? If we didn't do that, I mean, how do you spot a, a false teacher if you don't measure their teaching and their lives? I think it's fine to look at another Christian and say, you know, I do worry about them. I'm not sure that behaviour is God-honouring. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for them, maybe say something. That's just part of being family, isn't it? We, we do keep track of each other. We're interested in each other. But Jesus is teaching against measuring uncharitably, of being censorious, always looking for the very worst, never giving people credit, always being sort of picky over the smallest detail, looking for faults. So, I miss one prayer meeting. And you think, ah, I thought he had his priorities in the wrong place. Or a, a very current example, um, it's been wonderful that you've been able to meet together and maybe as you've sat there you've you know you've 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 thought of somebody else sitting at home who's not come into the church building and you've thought well they're just lazy uncommitted they don't really care about the gathering but maybe actually somebody's been sitting at home and they've been looking at the folk gathering and thinking they're careless they're not loving their neighbors these are complicated issues and let's give each other some credit that's what jesus is saying don't measure uncharitably. A conversation I had a while back 
uh, hauled me up on this. It was with someone who's left um, uh, the, 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 the Harpenden area now. But a few years ago, I'd, I'd noticed that they hadn't been a church for about a year. And I assumed that they were backsliding. That was my measure of them. Now, it turns out they had a grandma who was very ill and they were driving up each week to take this frail old lady to her local church. Which is a great thing, isn't it? Now, I, th I think it might have helped if they'd told us that they were doing that. We are family. But that really challenged me. I remember when Roger Carswell was interviewed about the one piece of advice that he um, held most dear. He said this, be kind. You do not know what troubles people might be facing. Be kind. You do not know what troubles people might be facing. There, there might be all sorts of things and reasons that explain someone's decisions and behaviour. So don't measure uncharitably. And the warning, verse 2, is that if we do, then God will use the same measure on us. Which is a very fearful thing, isn't it? And it leads us to the third thing. Don't make final verdicts. And this is where children, you get the hammer out. Don't make final verdicts. Now, I'm sorry for all the um, don'ts, don'ts, don'ts in this sermon, but I figure that is the tone of this part of Jesus' sermon. First one, don't judge, for you too will be judged. Now, very plain in Jesus' teaching is that there is a final day of judgment. All our lives will be measured, and how we speak and treat one another will matter, and there will be justice, which is just a wonderful thing, isn't it? In a world where things are so unfair... And I wonder whether sometimes we're judgmental, I'm judgmental, because we have this inbuilt sense of right and wrong and fairness, and we just long for truth to prevail and every evil to be exposed and dealt with now. I think Jesus wants to say to us, relax, it will be. But that is in the future, and it is God's judgment, and he will get it absolutely right. And so for you, friend, lay down the hammer, because it's God's judgment. We are never to do God's job from our limited perspective and from our limited point in time. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm not doing that. If I, uh, I'm not making a final judgment, a final verdict. If I say someone, um, let me start again. I'm not, I'm not making a final verdict if I say that something is outside of God's will. I am making a final verdict if I declare that someone is outside of God's people. This is tricky because there is a place for church discipline when the whole church gathers and says, look, so far as we can see, because you're not repented in any way on this serious issue, you're outside the church. We, we don't know totally, but for your good, we have to make some sort of judgment. And uh, so you're not left just thinking you're okay with, with Jesus. So with a heavy heart, we're supposed to treat you as if you're an unbeliever. That's church discipline. There is a place for that. Jesus isn't talking about that here. He's addressing much more day-to-day -day moments, you know, where someone says, well, you can't be a real believer because you did that. Or, you're not an A-class believer because you said that. Or, that mistake that you made is so bad that I am mentally excommunicating you from my little group of nice people over here. And Jesus says, that is your brother or sister that you're talking about. And sure, they're not perfect yet. And they have their faults that are different from your faults and you just happen to think that their faults are more sinful but I'm committed in love to them and I died for them and the judgment of God that yes they deserve and they deserve to have the hammer fall on them was taken by me at the cross it's fallen the judgment has fallen 
on me. And there is now no condemnation for them. And they will stand on the final judgment day because I will make them stand. And I'm at work in the meantime, in my timing, to make them perfect. Like my heavenly father. So what are you doing? Judging them. Don't make final judgments. Put the hammer down. Now isn't it wonderful that our Lord Jesus teaches like this? He wants to protect us from each other. He wants to make us into a community where we we do take our sins seriously. We don't lower the standards. We, we do get involved with each other. But where we're safe when we fail. Where we're secure in his love and we're safe from each other's natural tendencies to be self-righteous and to excommunicate. To use the Sermon on the Mount, not to do surgery on our own hearts, but as a weapon against one another. And Jesus preempts all of that as he draws this sermon towards a close. His goal is nothing less than a brand new family. Treat Christians as family, not acting as judge. Well, just a few minutes on verse 6. Treat the unresponsive as outsiders, not being naive. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, what is sacred and like a pearl is the gospel. Jesus explains in chapter 13, the message of how we can be part of God's forever kingdom. And Jesus offered that to everyone, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, moral and wretched. No one need be outside. But Jesus warned that some will choose to. You share the treasure of, of Jesus patiently, gently, with, with goodness, and you're met with hardness and hostility. Jesus isn't saying that we just give up quickly or we avoid any real engagement with people's questions. Of course, people are going to ask serious questions. But he says, don't be naive. There is a time to stop giving the gospel, a time to, to go to others. Jesus himself did that, a time to avoid getting your hands bitten or the message trampled underfoot. Like dogs, who in those days were left outside the house, and pigs that were unclean, if someone is persistently unresponsive, treat them as they choose to be at the moment, as outsiders of the gospel. Treat the unresponsive as outsiders, not being naive. Now this applies to our evangelism, and it may be there's someone you need to just stop talking to for a while actually but verse 6 comes straight after verses 1 to 5 right and so this is a completely new thought to me this week verse 6 must be mainly about how to respond to the wrong that we see in non-christians the whole section is about how we respond to the wrong we see in people and so verses 1 to 5 are, are to teach us that if we see wrong in a christian handle it as you would in a family don't withdraw Go together to your father and talk together with them about the gospel that you have in common that can really make a difference in the situation, that can stop you being self-righteous and stop them being defensive and it has the power for planks and sawdust to be removed if they're a Christian. Verse 6 though, if they're not a Christian, you can't handle it as family. You probably can't pray and talk about the gospel because you don't have that in common frankly. You can't really expect Jesus standards from them. 
And so you may need to withdraw a bit. You may need to be wary, like from a dog. You may just have to put up with things in the workplace or wherever, because frankly, they have no resources without the gospel for solving the sin in their lives. And you're wasting pearls on them. This is how to respond when you see the wrong in people's lives. What a wise and good king Jesus is. So as we close, can I ask you, are you sitting on one of these at the moment, sitting above? Or are you measuring uncharitably? Or are you in danger of making final verdicts on people? Get off the chair, put down the ruler, put down the hammer. Let me pray. Lord, make that so for me. And for all of us, for your glory's sake and for the sake of one another, your precious family. Amen.